Welcome to the New Stories Podcast, Season 3. Good morning, everybody. It is a crisp transition from fall to winter morning (laughs) here on Norwood Road, and I'm really excited to welcome a dear friend and a longtime colleague, Christina Druin from the Center for Strategic Planning. Christina has worked on our school's strategic plan, and I always thought it was great. I knew it was really excellent when we said, we can't let Christina go quite yet. (laughs) (laughs) We need her work to bring us all the way to where we are now, which is the plans being ready this week to be socialized amongst our community full of great goals and strategies and initiatives. And so this morning, Christina, welcome. Thank you. We will jump in with just having you have a chance to introduce yourself and the work you've done on strategic planning over these years. Great. Thank you. Good morning, Rodney. It's just, it's a joy always to see you. So thank you for inviting me to join you on this podcast. This is my 24th year of private practice doing strategic planning with mission-driven organizations. Mainly, 95% of my work is with independent schools. 5% is with faith-based organizations and mission-driven organizations, humanitarian types of groups. This has been a joy for me to be doing this for all these years. I've spoken at NAIS conferences for over 10 years, maybe 15 years, and I'm a co-author on three of their books and have been on several of the NAIS podcasts as well. In terms of my relationship with Sandy Spring, of course, I've been joyfully your facilitator and guide during your strategic planning process. It's been so wonderful. So you and I connected circa 20 years ago. (laughs) I was out in Massachusetts at Worcester Academy, and you had come in to do our strategic plan. Yes. And wow, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking how the world has changed in those 20 years since we first met to do that plan, and then when we met back up to do this plan. So maybe just with your long-term view of schools and the strategic (laughs) planning climate that schools are working in, how have you seen schools change over these couple of years? I'm going to say couple. (laughs) And how has that informed your work? Yeah. So I think that's a great question, Ronnie, because there has been so much change, as you know. But, you know, it's so interesting because the changes that schools have gone through in order to be competitive, to be sustainable, have highlighted the necessity for being close to your roots to understanding who you are, what you stand for, what your purpose is. Because in the midst of all change, those are the things that don't change. So what you always want to be sure you're clear about in protecting and preserving and communicating is that which will not change, even in the midst of all the change. So what I've seen is successful strategic planning processes in schools have really looked inward first. And by that, I mean, coming to clarity on purpose and values, staying true to their roots, and then asking themselves, okay, what in the external environment is has changed in a way that's opportunistic for us, or threatening and or challenging for us, with respect to our values and our purpose. I have seen that come into much more clarity and much more sense of purpose 
because mm. of the all the other changes. So you want to be true to who you are, even as you're understanding what challenges are present in the external marketplace that put that at risk. Because that's what a strategic plan is. Really, it is a change plan, but it's also how are you going to preserve that ground that you stand on in the face of all the changes. The other thing I've really seen is that, and this is by necessity, planning has become much more data-driven. You cannot do a strat plan anymore. Not that you really could, but there was a practice of doing um, strategic planning more on the basis of anecdotes, anecdotal information, internal kind of, some might say navel-gazing, and less about uh, really doing a disciplined gathering of strategic information and, and it, that would influence your ability to preserve values and mission, as I just mentioned. Really appreciate that because I'm thinking in my mind, of course, looking at let alone the 20 years, but just the past two or three that schools have lived in. And we have become really versed in crisis planning. Yes. And in thinking about the difference between crisis planning and strategic planning. Yes. And then what you and I did together, and I'm hearing so many heads of schools were doing strategic plans at this time. So what it's like to be doing strategic planning as you wrap up, right, pandemic crisis yeah. planning. What are your thoughts on just how schools can separate that? Because one of the things I appreciate about working with you is that you come from an appreciative sense. We're not looking for what's the problem to be solved. We're yes. looking for what's the goodness to be enhanced. Exactly. Appreciative inquiry, one of my favorite design processes, as you know, <laughs> AI, before AI was AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the appreciative inquiry. Part of strategic planning is important now more than ever. But I do think one of the things that I've seen and I actually recommend is that you find a hybrid. It is true that crisis planning is a different model than strategic planning historically. Why? Because crisis planning deals with the here and now. Strategic planning deals with a longer runway. That differentiates them right at the beginning. But the thing that I'm recommending is that schools who are wise going forward embed in their strategic plans an element of always being ready with crisis planning. So with business interruption and business continuity strategy, that it's embedded in your strategic plan so that it's not a surprise and you, you don't have two separate operating systems going forward, that you actually have one operating system called strategic planning. And then within the context of strategic planning, you have the modality around business continuity planning, business resumption, all of the stuff that, that comes out of this, the crisis planning discipline so that they're merged. Mm, mm -hmm. That makes sense? It, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, thinking about the time in which we embarked on our strategic plan, we had finished a 10-year plan mm -hmm. and we spent a year or two in between plans as we dealt with the pandemic. And we knew that we needed to get back into a strategic plan to guide us. And we made a couple of decisions that I just want your ear on and for folks listening to have your insights about, which is one, 
I heard you say really clearly in our meetings, when you are done with this strategic plan, or even before you're done, you'll be thinking about the next strategic plan. Yes. That that gap that we experienced yes. is one that is um, abnormal and not necessarily advised, understandable for the time yes. we've been. Yes. And you pushed us to think about that was a 10 year plan. We may want to move to a five year planning cycle, <laughs> yes. which I will tell you when I think about the pithiness of that plan, I'm like, five years to do all of this. Yes. Yeah. So I'd love to hear you talk about both those things, why a school should always be in a continual process of strategic yes. planning yeah. and the life cycle of a plan and how that impacts the strategic nature and direction of the school for its longevity. Yes, yes. This is actually a role of governance in terms of their oversight to ensure that the school is always starting in or completing a strategic plan. That is absolutely essential. Why? Because it embeds in the culture, the discipline of strategic thinking. The plan is only a tool. The plan mm. is the tool. It's the outcome of the process, right? It's the thinking that you want to acculturate. You wanna make sure that your whole community is always thinking strategically about decisions it makes and the future of the school. What do I mean by strategically? One of the disciplines of strategic thinking is that you're always, always cognizant of the changes in the external environment. That's one of the things that's been brought in in much better measure than in the past. S schools in the last 10 years have understood the value of bringing in data into the decision-making. And the data, as we know, is always changing. Look, if we weren't alert to that, look at all the changes in brain research, look at neurodiversity, look at all of the data that's coming out from data collectors in terms of social, emotional wellness, needs of students, anxiety, all of the stuff that is influencing what we do with our students, all of that data has exploded in the right. last five years. Can you imagine if we weren't alert to that? And if we weren't not only not alert to that, but if we weren't adjusting in order to adapt, accommodate, serve, make that data relevant to our particular educational philosophy, we would be irrelevant. Right. So you, your strategic plan ensures your relevancy and your impact which are two elements of sustainability, right? You have right. to be relevant. You have to be impactful in order to be sustainable. Mm. So bringing that data into the decision-making has become really critically important. And I've seen that as, as a major shift. So therefore, you can't, who does 10-year plans anymore? You cannot do 10-year plans. Mm -hmm. so there was actually a swing for a while um, where some folks were encouraging 18 month strategic plans. Why that by definition is not a strategic plan. A strategic plan has to take a longer view. And I always recommend a five year view rather than anything shorter because of the fact that a strategic plan is a change plan. And we don't want there to be so much change within the system that it implodes. A system can only withstand so much change. So you want to stretch it out over five years. Mm. The leading edge of every strategic plan in my world is a vision statement. And the vision statement will be much more lukewarm and mediocre if you give it a three-year planning horizon. 
And even less so if you give it an 18 month planning horizon. Mm. I mean, so what, why, why? Yours is so bold and big because we've got it on a five year schedule. Now to your original question, you may end up rolling that over if it's not achieved in five years and that's perfectly fine. You might push that vision out and say in that last fourth year, fifth year of your five year plan, when you reintroduce this process again, you may say, you know what? We love this vision. We haven't reached mm-hmm. it yet. Let, we're going to update our data. We're going to look at our goals and strategies, update everything below that. But we still love this vision. That's perfectly fine to do. Right. And and let's look at our vision, Vision 2027, yes. for our five-year it. plan. I, I love it, too. By 2027, SSFS <laughs> sets the standard for transformative Quaker education. Mm-hmm. I just always pause after I say it because you let it settle, the bigness of it. I agree with every word. The only time I push back on it is by 2027, as if you could do that and then you're done. To me, what I love about the vision is we have to continue to be that, right? Um, So almost like beginning in 2027, after 2027, from 2027 forward, right? That vision is really a long-term vision. And it speaks to who we are as a school, right? A school committed to excellent education, a school committed to Quakerism, committed to social and emotional learning and being responsive to the kids we have in front of us versus the kids we had before, right? And knowing that generations are changing. and, And so all of that is baked into the life of the school. And that leads me to my next question for you because we we chose you really based on your excellent work and the culture of our school. Quakerism compels us to get as broad an input as we feel we need to understand both the issue at hand, the thing in the center of the room, and to say that we have touched base with and heard from everyone impacted by this decision that we're making. Doesn't mean that everybody makes the decision, but everybody has some input into it if they're gonna be impacted by it. That's a really important Quaker principle. And having watched you work, I thought I've not seen another uh, strategist work in quite that same way with our schools. And so I connected us with you because you do such interactive work. How did you land on that way of doing it? And maybe to explain to folks who haven't experienced it, because it's hard to tell people what it is. It's one of those where you had to be there, but your way of engaging the full community in strategic planning, where so many schools go behind closed doors and the board writes the plan or the admin team writes the plan and people are informed of the plan. Your work is transformative in the way you're doing it. And I would love to just hear you talk about how you got there and why you do it that way. So thank you for that. What a great question. My segue to private practice was the last year of my service as an administrator at an independent school in South Florida. And my last task that last year was to lead the strategic planning process for the school. So I had come out of a strategic marketing background and management work. Actually, I had a consulting practice in Massachusetts for many years before I went into the school. And my uh, private practice was based on research at the time. So the first thing I did was I went to start to research what does a good strategic planning process look like? Now, this was 1999. And having shaped my point of view all along, of course, was the famous 
Peter Drucker. And he, of course, came into my research as a major player as I was shaping what model I would want to use at, at St. Andrew's School, which was a school in South Florida. And also coming into uh, at that time was some work being done by Richard Chait and also some work being done by Jim Collins. So mm-hmm. Collins built to last 1992, good to great and all that. So those factors were shaping my perception of what a great strategic planning process would look like. And in addition to that, there had been a great body of research done by the government, by actually by the Clinton administration, on what a successful strategic planning processes look like across sectors. Mm. And all of that research led me to have an understanding that the best strategic planning processes have five elements in common. Inclusivity, shared responsibility, accountability, evaluation, and institutionalization. And inclusivity is the basis of it all. And inclusivity uh, is something that Peter Drucker, I think maybe it was in the 80s when he coined the term knowledge worker. That really resonated with me and my work in not-for-profits even back then, that knowledge workers can work anywhere. So why should they choose to work for you? And our teachers and our administrators are knowledge workers. They can work anywhere. Why would they choose to work for Sandy Springs or any school? Mm. And Drucker said, and I thought this was brilliant, because when you give them authority, autonomy, when you give them the responsibility, the accountability to make their own decisions within the context of the deliverable, you know, how they deliver the mission, then you've got a satisfied, empowered, productive, and fulfilled knowledge worker. Mm-hmm. And that became the cornerstone of my work. How do we make this inclusive? At the same time, I read a case study when I was doing this. I read a case study of Brown University's 1995 strategic plan, the creation of which was done behind closed doors, as you say, mm. um, by the board, because they have the authority. Right. 100%. They absolutely have the authority. So they did that practice, which was common practice in the 90s. And it it still is, as you mentioned, in schools. They uh, did it behind closed doors. And then with great fanfare, they presented it (laughs) to the faculty of Brown University, who en masse got up and walked out. Wow. And to their great credit, the governance said, okay, we did this wrong. You guys go create your task forces. (laughs) You do this. And that was this, the kind of the, the, the creation of the notion of, okay, give them the authority because they are the knowledge workers. They are doing the work. Let them create the work they're going to be doing. Mm. And mm. I thought that was brilliant. And, and of course, uh, Jim Collins' work in Research and Build to Last, uh, which became good to great, um, around the value of values you know, the preservation was a cornerstone of my thinking. So the board doesn't dictate the values. The values come from community. So how do you mm-hmm. how do you not involve community in discernment of values? Because they're living the values and healthy organizations walk the talk. So their values, 
what they say they stand for is aligned with their daily decision making. How do you do that in isolation? You can't do that. You do that together in community. That's why I loved working with Sandy Spring. I loved it because it was there already. It's in your DNA. It's it's systemic. That's right. That's right. And and we're so clear about what our values are and, and being a Quaker community gives us permission to talk about them boldly and to live them yes. loudly, right? Our whole motto is let your lives speak. And so in that way, and, and I loved the way that you coached us to have our values, our shared values, drive the goals and the vision of the plan. Yes. And, and a really just an awesome synergy around that. And, and I tell you, it was a it was a scary moment to think we're going to get so many hands in this plan, right? Yes, I'll yes. put my head of school hat on and, and I can be a fairly loose person, but I can be type A about certain things. And the plan <laughs> yes. was one of them because it just is so important in the direction of the school. And I had to take several deep breaths. The board took several deep breaths, right? Our admin council took several deep breaths because we had, of course, the board commissioning and guiding the plan, yes. but really that steering committee that was a cross-section of students, faculty, administration, board, and, and something that you told us that was a game changer for even how we put that committee together was you said, we're not going to person this committee by their role. We're going to person them by the skills and knowledge and perspectives we need in the room. And wow, did that change who was at the table? So that was deep breath number one, right? And you know you heard from people who thought, I should be in there because I, right? We're like, it's not about your role and you will have your time. This is about what we need in the room to produce the plan. Yes, very, very true. Yeah, and it is. So the team served as a project management team, which was really, let's get this job done. And what do we need? What gifts and talents are essential to get that done? which was disruptive, as you say, disruptive from their what typically schools are used to doing, mm. which is appointment by title or by right. responsibility. And so thank you for that latitude. <laughs> no, it was awesome. And then visioning day, right? You take your next deep breath because we had, what, almost 200 people in that yes. room. Yes. And that yes. included parents and yes. alums and alum parents. And all of the community, all the students were invited. And I remember um, asking who's been involved in the school for 20 plus years and so many people standing up, 15 plus years and so many people standing up, who just got here this year and so many people standing up. I mean, the breadth of experience and connection in that room. And then you're thinking, so how are we going to sort all this out? And what's beautiful about the plan where you knew it had come together and especially it come together in a Quakerly way was through all of that processing and programming, there was a synergy. Everybody saw the same direction that the school needed to go in and everybody could then support, oh, of course, this is the vision. Of course, these are the goals. Absolutely, these are the strategies, right? Because it was everybody had come into a shared conversation and realized we're all seeing our versions of the same opportunities. Yes, yes 100%. And what helped that happen was the data. Because remember, the data gave us the evidence we needed to identify the drivers. So even though we had about 200 people in the room, 
they were talking about headlines. They weren't speaking anecdotally about their own hobby horses. The, The discipline of the day was not only that they followed a series of exercises, but they were invited to dream about what the future could look like for Sandy Spring, given these drivers that the data have indicated are the most relevant and impactful to the future. That's where the magic originates, is in the synthesis of the internal and the external data into all of those probably millions of data points, quite frankly, you know, into the drivers that informed the Mm. conversation and then the essential and guiding questions that we asked people to consider. So, yeah. And part of those and the drivers were separated between internal and external drivers. So we surveyed everybody in our community about how are you experiencing the school and where do you see the opportunity? There were just so many touch points for everybody to put their perspective into the mix. And what has come out is a breath of fresh air because it's both visionary and lofty and it is some change in some really healthy ways. And it reads like Sandy Spring Friends School and who we've always been. And so to have that that balance, that secret sauce of we're going to be who we've always been, but we're going to be the 2022 to 2027 version of that school. Absolutely. And that's because the whole process was was values and mission driven. It's based in your values and missions and what challenges the external world is making against your ability to continue those. We brought the data in and we assessed its impact potentially positively or negatively on who you are without changing who you are. Mm-hmm. That, that's the connection. And then the vision was how do we address those drivers right. while remaining true to who we are? And this is Jim Collins. This is preserving the core, which are your values and mission and stimulating progress. That's the model. How do we preserve the core and stimulate progress, which are the vision goals strategies? So that's how it all came together. You brought in an important word that we haven't talked about yet, which is the role of the mission of the school. And how does the mission interact with the strategic planning process? Yeah, so the mission answers the question, why do you exist? Mm. So the mission is absolutely critical to because that's what you're seeking to preserve. So the mission has a shelf life that when you answer that question, versus the what do we do question, which is typically, I see all the time schools answering the what do we do versus the why do we Mm. exist question. Mm -hmm. And so those mission statements sometimes have to be modified a bit when we come into the process, just to get it right, just to clarify it. And often I'll see embedded in a, a paragraph around mission, I'll see the why, and we just need to tease it out. It's already been thought through but it's surrounded by a whole bunch of answers to what questions. So we just mm-hmm. need to pull out the essence and make it simpler. But the mission itself is, um, once you do that piece, is transcendent, should be transcendent and enduring. And right. it transcends these five-year planning cycles and lasts ideally for two or three generations. Mm-hmm. Once you're answering that question, the why do we exist question, once you get it right, shouldn't change. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking about one of the foundations of Quakerism is asking a good question, a great question, and at times the right question, 
that will then guide what happens in the space. And, And you've mentioned the why. And that's really the question that has been guiding us this year is that that simple one word that gets to the profound, which is why. Why are we doing this? Why would we stop doing this? Why would we change this? Why would we not? And I'm wondering, you know, when you look at a strategic plan, the text of it can give you the what's. Where do you find, we you to pull up our strategic plan right now, you'll see a lot of, here's what we're going to do. How would people see the why we're doing it? Why this is the plan for us? Where does that live? In the mission. So the why lives in the mission and the plan is what uh, is the device because it's an outcome of a process, right? Right. It's not a sacred cow. It's the outcome of a process. The sacred cow is the mission. Why do we exist? And granted, the clarification of that, if it's a paragraph, needs to be a sentence. And that's that's just mm. small work. But where you find the why is always in the mission. So everything should thread back to mm. the pre- preservation of the why we exist and the what do we stand for, which are the values. So you'll see everything else in that plan is what would success look like if we did this in the next five years, given the external uh, threats and opportunities. Mm. That's what the vision answers. And then the goals, of course, what are the milestones along the way that will signify that we're being successful? And then, as you say, the the bulk of the plan are the house and the specific and the teeth, you know, the specific projects. Mm. But it's it's all for the purpose of the perpetuation of the why you exist and the what do you stand for, because that's the value you add to the world. Right. That's all a strategic plan. And that's why I love working with not-for-profits. And I only work with not-for-profits because what a strategic plan does is it ensure is intended to do is ensures the sustainability of the value you add to the world, Mm. your impact, your fatal impact. And again, that's why I loved working with Sandy Springs so much is because I see so much value, you know, in your value. And it was just delightful to be a partner in helping you think through, okay, given everything that's happening in in the world, how can we preserve the value we add to the world? Mm. You know, and what does that look like in terms of a plan? So you'll, you'll see things in our plan, like increasing our commitment to professional development for our faculty. Um, you'll see things like curating more physical spaces around campus that promote what I call a Zen vibe, that promote wellness and uh, social emotional learning. You'll see in our plan, looking at our endowments and making sure that the school is healthy financially. And, and when people look at that and they want to know, so why these things? And you're saying, well, we should go back to the mission. I'm just going to read the mission, right? Why would we do any of those? Because Sandy Spring Friends School provides a welcoming and nurturing learning environment with friends, testimony, and meeting for worship central to its life and vitality. A challenging academic curriculum, enriched arts, inclusive athletics, and service opportunities promote intellectual excellence and strength of character. Recognizing the unique worth of each person, the school strives to develop individual talents and foster caring and effective citizens of the world. And so that's why we need those Zen spaces around campus to do that. 
That's why we need to develop our faculty towards that mission. That's why we need the endowment to increase so that 50 years from now, we know we're on financial ground to continue doing that mission. I appreciate that clarity um, for schools who are thinking, how do we separate the strategic plan from just any basic initiative that you would do because you're plugging a hole. This is about you're living into your best self as you said you were going to be through your mission. Yes. Given the challenges and opportunities you face at this moment in time and you expect you'll face over the next three to five years. So that's the connection between the now and the future from a strategic point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the connection to the history of the school. Right? Your Absolutely. mission speak to who you were founded to be, how that shows up that's in your right. parents' environment, and yes. the strategic plan is carrying that forward. Yes, that's why it's a closed system and it's a cycle. And it mm. always comes back always to the preservation of mission and values. And then you just continue to move around the circle and continue continuously gathering new information, new strategic information that might influence your plan and your vision. And why? So that you can preserve your values and mission. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the process you use is really critical to that, that you get to a plan that resonates on that deeper level. That's what makes it a strategic plan versus an operational plan or a crisis plan or a simple to-do list. Right? Yes. That it's connected to your DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm-hmm. And so thinking about that, I just want to make sure I amplify something you said earlier because I was rushing to write it down for myself. So I know I want to hear it again. And I think some folks listening may want to hear it again. You said that there were five cornerstones of yes. strategic planning. Yes. And I'd love for you to just repeat those five for yes. us. Yes. Inclusivity, shared responsibility, accountability, evaluation, and institutionalization. And talk to us about institutionalization. When you say that, what does that look like? That is what you said in the very beginning of the podcast, which is the continuous cycle of strategic planning and thinking. Mm -hmm. So institutionalization means that you've acculturated strategic thinking, that you're always starting in or completing a strategic plan. That's institutionalizing the strategic thinking and the resulting plan. Mm-hmm. And that shared responsibility, accountability, evaluation, I think, and, and I've actually seen this happen. Some schools who fall down on that, they get to the end of the planning cycle and they can't go back and determine if they have fulfilled the plan or not because they didn't bake in the measurables exactly. and deliverables. <laughs> exactly. Remember that I said inclusivity first. So inclusivity opens the door to authentic shared responsibility and authentic accountability and authentic evaluation, because that's not then being superimposed on you. Nobody's telling you to do this. You've been part of it. You were part of the information gathering when you participated in this model, when you participated in the survey. You were part of the, the dreaming of the future when you participated in visioning day. You were part of putting teeth in the plan when you participated in the initiative drafting sessions, which were then you know, they were then vetted. So, okay, you participated inclusivity. This is your shared responsibility. You've engaged in all these touch points. And now you've told us what you're willing to be accountable for. That's the accountability piece. So then if you're willing to be accountable for it, what does, what do the metrics look like? What does success look like within each of those 
pieces of the plan. I mean, you got a lot of moving parts, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of plates spinning. Um, you want every person who is an owner is part of making this uh, vision a reality because they're working on a slice of it, a piece of it, a specific initiative or tactic. You want them to have thought through, what does my success look like when I'm working on this? So to your point, every initiative has a work plan attached to it. Every work plan has performance metrics attached to it. So there's your evaluation. There's how we know we're making progress or not. It's embedded in the process. So you don't need some kind of supra structure of metrics that lays over the whole plan. No, because you built it from top down, vision, goals, strategies, initiatives, but you're implementing it from bottom up. So you're implementing it from the initiative level where the accountability is in your technical experts, your people who are the professionals, your educators. They know what's impactful and relevant in terms of metrics better than anyone. Right. So if folks listening think that we've got a plan sort of full of heart and that's all, I would say we've got a plan that's full of heart, that it also is a true plan. I mean, we went through and tagged every initiative and put a timeline on it and who's going to be responsible for it. When are we going to start it? When do we plan to finish it? How are we going to measure it when it's done? So it's a plan that has that synergy of it's heartfelt and organic and it is deeply measurable and and followable because when you look at it you know exactly what we are planning to do when and what the outcome of that should be and how we're going to measure our success of the plan and so i I just love it and and the best thing i can say and i had so much learning in this process with you um, but one that you may not have known i learned because it just happened recently we had a head of school forum for our parents and any parents could come they could ask any questions they wanted Um, It was very well attended, but several of our newest parents came. And I had said in the invitation, we would discuss the strategic plan. I'd give everybody an update. That's what people wanted to talk about. And especially our newest parents, because they said, listen, we love the school. Our kids love the school. If there's going to be a change over the next five years, I need to know what it is because I'm loving it (laughs) so much right now. I need to know what the direction long term of this is. And they loved the plan and they said, wow, this speaks to everything that we think the school would have been investing in over the next five years. Right. And these are folks who just joined us. So they weren't in the process. But interesting because I hadn't thought about your strategic plan is also a nod to your community to come that this is what you're coming for. This is where the work is. This is who we're going to become. And do you want to be a part of that? 100%. And the who we're going to become is consistent with the who we are. And the who we've been. And the who we've been. Yeah. Because strategy is by definition, something you want to adapt and change. That's not the roots of your strategic plan or in your values and mission. And you've been true. The process was true to that so that they can expect that this is just the how because strategy and how, right? Not, not what or why, but how that's all that is. That's the how the what and the why don't change. For the tons of schools you've helped along the way to be their best selves, including now Sandy Spring Friends School. um, I, I deeply thank you for your work, for your talent, your expertise, and most importantly, your passion for helping something that sounds like the most boring process of the strategic planning. You almost start to snore before you get it out of your mouth. 
but but you have made it an alive and electric and and really inspiring process that has energized this community. We continue to talk about somebody mentioned visioning day just yesterday. And so really for what you do with something that is so big in the life of the school that could weigh you down, you've used it to lift up schools and to lift up ours. And so thank you, dear friend. And thank you for having this conversation with us this morning. Thank you so much. That touched my heart. And I, I'm so grateful for your kind words. It's just a joy to work with you again. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the New Stories Podcast. 